have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 10 this morning. You'll find it on page 945 in your pew Bibles. Hopeful that you can follow along. There's also a handout this morning. Hopefully you received that. It'll help you in following along as we look into God's Word. When I was in seminary, one of our professors, his name was Stuart Custard. He's now with the Lord. But he surprised us because on that particular day, he always wore a suit to class, full suit, sometimes a three-piece suit. But he had no shoes on on this occasion. And he was standing on the desk, barefooted, standing on the desk, full suit. So he got our attention. And then he began to proclaim the words from Isaiah 52.7 that are also in our text today. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So please look with me at Romans 10. Today I just want to introduce this chapter in the brief moments that we have, this great evangelistic passage of God's word. Brothers, my heart desire and prayer to God for them, and that's Israel, that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says this, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches to all who will call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe on him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how do they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I asked, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I've been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. I've reminded you that the section of the book of Romans that we're studying right now is not a parenthetical section. It is part of the first major sections of the two. The first section is how does a person obtain the righteousness of God? And chapters 9 to 11 are dealing with an argument, and the argument is simply this. These same promises that have been made to God's people that we so rejoiced in in Romans chapter 8 
were also made to God's Old Testament people, the people of Israel. And at this point, it appears that most of the people of Israel have rejected the gospel, have rejected Christ. So the question is, there's a big problem. Israel doesn't seem to have enjoyed the fulfillment of the promises God made to them, which brings a bigger problem. That must mean that God isn't going to keep his promises to us, which is the biggest problem of all. Does God not keep his promises? So in chapter 9, we waded through, and I gave many of you a free t-shirt last week that said, I survived Romans 9. I hope you got yours. But in Romans 9, we waded through the first part of that answer. Why did Israel not get saved? Well, it was the God side of the equation, and we learned about God's purposes in divine election. But now in chapter 10, we're going to see the other side of that, and he's going to say the reason why much of Israel wasn't saved is because they didn't believe. And folks, I want to remind you, these are things we need to keep in balance. And we really run to our own peril when we try to reconcile the paradox that God has given us in his word. Chapter 9 deals very explicitly with God's complete sovereignty and salvation. Amen? But in chapter 10, he's going to deal with man's complete responsibility to believe the gospel. And we dive in there today. Now, I started with my professor who was on the desk when I left him last with his feet bare, his full suit on, quoting Isaiah 52.7 as well as our text here from Romans chapter 10 and verse number 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Of course, the Isaiah passage is referring to those ambassadors or messengers who came and said, Cyrus has made a proclamation. Those that are in Babylonian captivity are going to be able to return to the land, return to Jerusalem. So he was giving good news, and Isaiah is prophesying and saying, anyone who declares that good news, their feet are what? Beautiful. And he's saying the same thing here. Anybody who proclaims this gospel, that all ethnicities, we learned last week, both Jews and Gentiles, can believe the gospel and be saved, anybody who proclaims that message, no matter what you think about your feet, they're beautiful. I'm a runner, many of you know that. My feet are not beautiful. Don't say amen, family. They're not beautiful. They're disgusting. I know feet aren't very nice to look at to begin with. You may remember the Dr. Seuss foot book. In the house and on the street, how many, many feet you meet. And I won't continue, but I, I really like that Dr. Seuss books. There are all kinds of feet, but there are beautiful feet. And the beautiful feet are those who share the gospel with those who haven't believed. Do you have beautiful feet? Today on this Mission Celebration Day, I just want to introduce this wonderful chapter that I look forward to us studying together in our ongoing study of this great book of Romans. But I do want to just share this with you. If you'd be willing, God would call your feet beautiful. If you'd be willing, folks, God would call your feet beautiful. Some of us do not have the kind of spiritually beautiful feet that are described here because our feet are not regularly sharing the good news that Jesus saves. And this is not a sermon to pile guilt on you. It's to inspire all of us as God's people that we have been commissioned to give this glorious message to a lost world. 
And anyone who believes it will be what? Saved. I just want to review this chapter with you. With that in mind, that theme that I think really stands out in this chapter, if you'd be willing, God will call your feet beautiful. And let's just look at the chapter in in real, real quick survey. First of all, you're going to see that salvation for others should be desired and prayed for. If your reaction or response to the sovereignty of God and election and the sovereignty of God and salvation from chapter 10 was to say, I don't need to pray and I don't need to evangelize, you don't understand God's teaching. So the same apostle who proclaimed these hard truths, this hard word in chapter 9, again says, my heart, desire, and prayer, and some translations insert the antecedent that we know he's talking about here. Israel is that they might be what? Saved. You'll notice in verses 1 and verse all the way to verse 4, he's talking about his desire and prayer to God that they might be saved. He, he says they're ignorant. They're, they're ignorant because they believe that they can attain their own righteousness through their own works. But I just want you to see these two words. We will unpack this later. But he says his heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be what? Saved. Here's my question for you. We've been able to hear from some of our missionaries today, and it's obvious that their heart's desire and prayer is that the people they minister to would be what? Saved. I think Cruz is to to win them, to build them, and then to send them. We heard similar stories from our other missionaries today that their heart's desire and prayer is that these would be saved. But I want to ask us as a church family, do we have a similar burden for any unbelieving people in our lives? Do we see the places where God has planted us, in our job, in our schools, in our neighborhood, in our township, as places where we should be known as people with beautiful feet? I wonder if we were to look at our prayer journals, if you have one, Do you have any names listed on that prayer journal that you regularly desire and you long? You have this overwhelming burden that they would be saved and that it goes from desire to actually asking God to open up their hearts so that they would believe the gospel. Again, I'm not asking you to have a guilt trip here. I'm I'm asking you a question that I hope we can all answer. Do you want to have beautiful feet? Beautiful feet pray and desire for people to be saved. It is very obvious, and it's still obvious, even my children and they're older. When they want something, they repeat it often to me. I would like this. I want this. I would like this. Have you seen my Christmas list? I want this. What kind of chores can I do so that I can get this? Right? Their desires are really on their sleeves. (laughs) Are our desires similar when it comes to asking God to save people? I want to just ask you as one of the pastors here and as privileged to be your main preaching, teaching pastor, does it ever bother us? And again, this is not guilt. This is a question. Does it ever bother us that it's been a long time since we've seen someone saved? Do you ever find yourself saying, oh God, I I know we live maybe in a different culture and maybe things aren't as ripe. But, but are we at least going around with beautiful feet, proclaiming the good news, trusting that in your sovereignty and in your grace you're going to save some? I, I wonder, I'm asking this question, again, not for guilt, but, but to try to test our desires. 
Is there something in your soul that says, oh God, use my mouth, use my life to see others come to know Christ? This is exactly what Paul says. He's just exposited the sovereignty of God in salvation. And, and many that would say, wow, he, he, he's the real Calvinist. But he comes out of it saying, you want to know what my prayer list is like? That more people would be saved. Secondly, salvation is readily accessible. This is another motivator for having beautiful feet. In verses 5 to 10, and again, we're going to unpack this, but he's going to go to Deuteronomy 30, and, and he's going to say, salvation is like so accessible to everyone. This is not something complicated, although it is complex in the divine mind of our God to plan it. He's going to use an expression that's found in Deuteronomy 30, and he's going to say, you don't need to go up into heaven and try to bring Christ down. He's already come down. He's already been incarnate. You don't have to try to rise him from the dead. He's already been buried, and he's resurrected. He's coming again. But he says to the children of Israel, Moses does, that it's right there on the tip of their tongue. So, so the expression here is, it is so close, it's so easy for you simply to believe the gospel. It's so accessible. Christ is not unattainable. He is readily available. This word saved, I believe, is a synonym for what we've been discovering in the book of Romans, justification. He's saying you can be justified and look how accessible it is. Notice in verse number eight, but what does it say? The word is near you in your what? And in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Does it give you a little bit of encouragement to realize that the wonderful gospel, the wonderful good news that Jesus saves is so accessible to everyone? That brings us to a third point that he's gonna deal with in verse 11 to 13. These are verses that we're very familiar with. In verse 11, he, he says it this way. He says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to what? For there's no distinction between Jew or Greek. He's already told us that in chapter nine. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Number three, salvation is promised to everyone who believes. Every human that will believe You've heard that there are certain things you can be sure of, death and taxes. Here's another one. You can be sure of this. Any human who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. Some of you today have never called on the Lord. You've never believed that what he accomplished on Golgotha, on the cross, that that was not for his own sins. He was the sinless son of God. It was for our sins 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way, For God hath made Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let's not fool ourselves, folks. There are some here in this room, and you might be just as ignorant, and I use that word not as a pejorative, but to reflect what's in the text. You are ignorant that you are trying to earn your own righteousness. I think this is a wonderful diagnostic question. I asked it last week, I'll ask it again. If you were to die and the Lord were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? If the first thing out of your mouth is, well, I've done this, I've tried to do this, I've, I've, I've worked on this, I'm not as bad as this person, I've been a member of a church, or what would be your first statement? I, I think anything that's not along the lines of, only because of Jesus, only because of his death, burial, and resurrection, 
And what he's saying here is those that understand what Jesus has accomplished through the cross, his burial and his resurrection, when they call on him, they will be saved. It's not only acceptable, accessible, but it's promised to everyone who believes. So today, will you believe? Fourth, I want you to notice this chapter is going to introduce us that for salvation to be enjoyed, evangelism is necessary. Again, if you came to the wrong conclusion in chapter 9, well, why tell anybody about Jesus if there's sovereignty of election that God has in salvation? Paul won't hear any of it. <laughs> what is he going to say? He, he's going to use six verbs, and he's going to kind of use this logic. He kind of turns it on believers at this point. Why are people not being saved? Now, again, I, I want us to understand that the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Spirit, is going to turn this and say, for people to be saved, evangelism is necessary. You say, well, I can't process how God can elect people before the foundation of the world for salvation, and then he can tell all of us that we're responsible to evangelize. And without evangelizing, they will not hear and they will not be saved. Explain that to me, Pastor. I can't. It's a paradox. But I will say to you this, the scriptures say here that with salvation to be enjoyed, for salvation to be enjoyed, evangelism is necessary. Look how he does it here. Verse 14, he says, okay, well, he starts in verse 13. So you'll notice these six verbs. Do you see this chain? I thought about putting this on an overhead, but I forgot. So you're going to have to imagine the chain. Okay, here it is. He says, okay, you got people saved over here. Let's just back that up. How are they going to be saved if they don't call on Jesus? How are they going to call on Jesus that they have not believed? You don't call on someone that you haven't believed in. See the logic here? How are they going to believe in someone that they haven't heard about? How are they going to hear about him without a what? A preacher. You say, well, that's your job. Well, you need to know. This is the word that reflects a herald. Before media and before even newspapers, the way you would get news is someone would go to the curb and shout out the local news. And you had to get close enough to hear him if you wanted to stay up to date. And we know throughout the scriptures that there are sent ones, and this is the word apostle later on about the ones that are sent, that we get our word apostle from. There is an official commissioning here. I believe that is related to what we do when we send out missionaries. But I also believe it's related to the commission that all believers have to spread the good news, to make disciples of all nations. And he keeps going. He says, how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they be what? Sent. Do you see the chain? So today we've been able to get updates from our missionaries. And these we would call sent ones, yes? But folks, all the way back to the chain, he's saying to you, you want to know the basis for the mission? No one is going to call on the Lord and be saved if we ultimately don't have people that are sent and sharing the good news because these are people who have beautiful feet. I'm not going to ask the Fodels, I'm not going to ask the Strons and any of our other missionaries here today to show us their feet, but they're beautiful folks. Trust me. How many of us have those beautiful feet? Do we see that God has chosen a means for saving souls and that means is by chattering and preaching and gossiping the gospel it's his choice and we are able to be involved in this great mission 
of being the beautiful feet who spread the good news that you can be reconciled to God through Christ. And Paul puts it this way. It's very picturesque in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, as though God were begging you through us. As though he's using our mouths to beg you to be reconciled to God through Christ. Isn't this an amazing privilege? So if you're feeling guilt right now, you're missing the point. What privilege we have as God's people to be his mouthpieces, to be the heralds, to be the ambassadors, the emissaries, to chatter and spread the good news, and he's going to save people through that. Now some of you are asking the question, and we will look at this later, but what if I'm disobedient? Well, folks, we're not going to go there today, but I just want to encourage you to be obedient. I want to encourage all of us as God's people to be obedient. For salvation to be enjoyed, evangelism is necessary. And finally, rejection of salvation is the reason people aren't saved. Now, he's talking about the people of Israel, and he's still trying to answer that question. Why are there some that aren't saved? Why are some of God's chosen people, Israel, not enjoying the promise? Did God fail to keep his promise? And he ends it on the opposite side of where we were at in chapter 9. Chapter 9, it was because of God's purpose and election. And here, he says it's because they will not believe. And it's not because they just are ignorant in the sense that they don't have enough information. They will not submit to the gospel. It's a stumbling stone for them. Their self-righteous robes are tripping up over the stumbling stone, which is Christ. Because they cannot admit that I can receive a righteousness outside of myself simply by believing in Jesus. I want to encourage you that Israel here is an example for all of us here today because there is possibly someone here that you are actually tripping up on the cornerstone and it's a stumbling stone to you rather than the cornerstone that you ought to be building your life on. You have not submitted to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You've not submitted to the gospel. Maybe we think of gospel just in terms of it's the Romans road that I need to believe and that's true. But he uses words like submitting to, obeying the gospel. What does that mean? That means setting aside my own self-righteousness and my own abilities to be reconciled to God and trusting completely in the righteousness of God that's provided. If you'd be willing, if I'd be willing, God would call our feet beautiful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the balance of your word that reminds us that your thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts and your ways so much higher than ours. Lord, we desire for our feet to be beautiful in your sight. We ask for forgiveness when our desires have not been pointed towards men and women, boys and girls, teenagers, family members, friends, coworkers, other people that we meet, our hearts have not desired their salvation. and We've rarely prayed for people to be born again. Forgive us, Lord, for our lethargy, for our worldliness, for our lack of obedience to the wonderful commission to be these beautiful feet that spread the good news glorious that Jesus saves. Lord, we thank you once again for days like today where we're able to see men and women who have dedicated their entire lives to being beautiful feet for winning and building and sending. Lord, we pray that you would help us not only to partner with them, but to follow in their steps.
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing.